1: Here's the show that we recommend. What is the briefing room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you small-town dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.
2: And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry.
3: And I'm Mary Beth.
2: Each episode, our special guest will bring with them a movie that traumatized them as a child.
3: February is Women in Horror Month, and in honor of that, we wanted to use this month to highlight women working in the horror industry, from directors to actors to writers. This week, our special guest is Carolyn Morissette. You can find her work in academic publications, Grimm Magazine, Roomorg, and, of course, her site, View from the Dark, which focuses on genre film reviews and essays from a woman of color perspective. She is also a programmer for Blood in the Snow Film Festival. This week, she will give her lecture, The Omega, Ma- Omega Man's Utopia and Dystopia, for the Black Museum event at the Royal Cinema in Toronto. Welcome to the show. Yay. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Oh my gosh, <laughs> of course. So are we. <laughs>
2: um, yeah, uh, I'm I'm really excited to talk to you because we, uh, we, we've not had a film programmer on. And I know Mary Beth is really curious about what goes into that. I am. Like, so, yeah,
3: okay. So okay so you work on the Blood and the Snow film festival which is in Toronto correct How? So it's a oh, go ahead no no go ahead. I was gonna say, you going to say you tell me about the film, tell me about the festival well, it's um
4: Canadian genre film festival so we focus on um Canadian produced uh directed or uh if there's any kind of Canadian content actors that sort of thing um Uh, films, short films, um, web series. And uh, we just basically showcase them because there's so much talent here uh, that it's, you know, it's a crime not to showcase them because a lot of uh, productions are filmed here. So uh, we have a lot of talent, um, people who work already on film productions that are like, you know, big ticket things. Yeah. So they often do their own side projects. So it's really nice to showcase their own independent stuff. So oh, yeah.
3: That's awesome. How did you get involved with the festival? Well, I uh, started um, like an older
4: blog, and I was covering film festivals in Toronto. And uh, I uh, started going to the Blood in the Snow Film Festival. And um, I, it really struck me how like nice the team was, hmm. and uh, just really, it was it was a nice festival to go to because there were a lot of fans there, and everybody talked to each other, and it was a really nice community feel. And um, uh, Kelly Michael Stewart, who's director of Blood and Snow, he uh, approached me, and you know he had been reading my blog. I had no idea. <laughs> I thought <laughs> like like you know two people, and then my boyfriend read it, so you know it's like <laughs> oh someone's reading my blog, <laughs> and uh, yeah he approached me and he's like I really like your point of view and uh yeah I joined the team I think that was like 2015 something like that yeah that's amazing so it's a really great team to work with um yeah everybody's just really great so
3: yeah (laughs) and so sorry I'm looking at the website and like the poster is really really cool for this year's in 2020 um it's like a really cool cover of a comic book and it's really awesome. But so can you just like walk me through what it means to be a film programmer for a film festival? Like, what does that even mean?
4: Well, uh, basically, it's it's a lot of things. So uh, we opened up submissions, like submissions are open now. Um, and it goes until, I believe, October. Uh, and then it's so basically, it's a year round thing. And we just watch films that come in, and we vet them. And um, a lot of it is how films will fit together. So it's kind of almost almost like a piecing a puzzle together. And some films, you know, thematically, they might not work or um, in terms of length, they may not not work. Um, uh, Kelly, uh, who's, as I said before, the director, he gets a lot of filmmakers asking him, like, what are you looking for? And a lot of the times, like, he takes from our notes, and and obviously he's he's a producer. He's produced his own independent film Mm -hmm. and uh, actually quite knowledgeable about the film industry. So he'll tell them, you know, make it shorter. You know, people have you know I've submitted a great film but the sound quality is just not up to par oh, and oh
0: interesting
4: and they, as as much as we may like it and some of us do fight for films i want this film yeah. <laughs> but if this sounds not good like uh, unfortunately we won't be able to play it because um the royal cinema where we have our festival it's um a beautiful old cin- cinema and they use it to mix sound for a lot of feature films so they have a wonderful sound system so to have like a crummy sounding film like it just it won't wash and that's the first thing you know press when they come to the film festival they'll be like oh the sound was terrible so you don't want to put (laughs) them at a disadvantage already you know like it's not fair to the filmmaker so
3: yeah what has been like an amazing movie that you have seen at that festival that you wish has gotten more attention Oh my God! It's, like, uh, I it's probably a hard question. You've seen so many oh, movies, probably.
4: Honestly, all of them. Like oh. people come to this film festival with, you're like, you made this film on how much? You know, yeah. like uh, it, it's really great. One film that's actually getting uh, actually a lot of attention is um, our Vanguard Vanguard Award winner uh, from uh, 2019, uh, Audrey Cummings, and it's um, she never died. So it's a sequel to that Henry Rollins movie.
2: Oh, uh, yeah. I heard about that. So,
4: yeah, so uh, she's been getting so much press. And it's 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 really, uh, it warms my heart because she's a wonderful person. Uh, she's just a lovely person. Um, the lead, um, Olenike Adelie, she is incredible as well. She's one of the warmest people. Like, they're just, the whole cast and crew is just a bunch of really nice people and um they yeah it's a great film and i know it's been getting a lot of buzz and she's uh audrey cummings has been uh basically a blood in the snow filmmaker for uh i think she had berkshire berkshire county um Darkin and i think yeah so three films from what i can remember so and it's not any bias? It's just like oh, another great film, you know. Like yeah. we, it's a great filmmaker. So yeah, uh, that film's getting a lot of attention. Um, also, Level Sixteen. Um, oh yeah. By yeah, by Daneska Escherhazi. Eskerhazi, uh, I think I'm using as her name properly, but she's done well with that as well. Um, that, was, that was a good yeah, movie. This, yeah, it was really good and low budget again. Uh, so they they really do make use of their resources and uh, put out great content. So yeah, but all the films, I really wish that they could get uh, a lot more buzz, but at least um, we have an industry, uh, I guess, uh, market. It's called Deadly Exposure. So a lot of the filmmakers will come to it. Um, We have industry people coming out and giving like uh, panels, uh, they get like, it's kind of like a speed dating for, uh, <laughs> filmmakers and industry insiders. So they get to talk to people who are in the industry and they get advice oh, wow. and yeah. So that's one of the big draws for the filmmakers. It's not only a fan festival festival, but it's for the filmmakers as well. So yeah. That's so
3: cool. It's oh amazing. It's such a good festival.
4: It's so much fun and yeah, it's, it's in a great part of Toronto, um, and it's like it's west of downtown, but it's like a nice little uh, neighborhood. It's like in the Little Italy area. And okay. it's just this great restaurant. It's it's so much fun in that area. So everybody has a great time when they come to the festival. That's
3: Maybe so it's cool. a good trip to Toronto in November, Terry. I,
2: I know, right?
3: <laughs> I mean, we're all hearty up here. <laughs> so,
4: <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's great. It's a great, and it's uh, November 19th to 24th this
3: year. So awesome. that's tempting. It really is. I need to get a passport. I don't live that <laughs> far away. I'm only on the east coast of the of the states. It's Toronto is only like an hour to
2: flight. It's
3: fine.
4: Oh, yeah. Come on down. <laughs>
2: <laughs> how did um how did you get into horror?
4: I've always liked it. Uh yeah? my mom was a huge horror fan. It was like my mom and my grandmother would tell my sisters and I stories from the old country. My mm-hmm. family's from the West of so they tell us like, "Oh, completely like scar us so as is this show scarred for scarred for life the <laughs> podcast but they would tell us like the most horrifying things and you're like oh and then you know i would watch like godzilla movies on saturday afternoon
3: hell yeah and
4: uh so i really i love monsters i love like the ray harryhausen films um oh,
1: yeah
4: yeah just like the i love monsters and i've always loved them and even like grim fairy tales Um, I remember I had like a a record and it had like you know those um, like the storytelling records you got as a kid I don't know I'm I'm doing myself but yeah and I had one with the grim fairy tales and I played that thing all the time because my favorite one is the juniper tree and it's really morbid and it's 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 really quite scary for a children's fairy tale but i love that one yeah and i read a lot um because my parents as you will hear were very strict so um we just like you know read a lot and drew and watched movies on tv yeah
3: good god wikipedia this this is about the juniper tree the story contains yes. themes of child abuse murder cannibalism and biblical symbolism <laughs>
2: yes good god that's, that's crazy it's
3: pretty horrific yeah yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I, I never heard of that before, so I've been like, oh, what is
2: this? I haven't either. But um it's it's funny that you brought you brought up those record books because um when, when I was growing up, I used to listen to ones that were like superheroes, like there'd be Batman, and it would come with like a little book, and then it would come with like a record with like the big circle missing in the middle. I don't know what <laughs> what the difference was. And I would used to listen to those two. So I yeah, that's that's a blast. So you also have um a lecture coming up. Um this episode is going to go live on the 24th. So it's that Friday. Is that correct? 29th, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. 29. Yeah. yeah. And, um, it's about the Omega man that the movie, right?
4: Yeah. It's basically, it's about kind of some unseen things in that film. I love Rosalind Katz. She plays Lisa in the film, the woman that uh, Charlton Heston meets in the department store and they become, um, allies and then, uh, lovers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just, you know, I was thinking uh, there's not too much about her out there. And I wanted to kind of showcase that and talk about the themes in the film, like um, authority, the background of the film as well. It's basically a, a kitchen sink script. So they've got a lot of things going on. And uh, some of the stuff didn't work. Like they kind of made Lisa a, a kind of an Angela Davis, Black Panther type character wow. and you're like how is this working in the post-apocalyptic world of LA you know <laughs> and it's just it's it's kind of bizarre but it's almost it's got this really neat um, kind of optimism towards the end there's also like this jesus figure that uh charlton heston plays is robert neville and you know he's like the savior with his blood and there's a line in the film where you're like did they just say that <laughs> <laughs> um when he meets um the younger there's a younger man his name is duke um he's played by paul Col- coslow they're talking about he's talking at charlton heston and he says yeah you know uh you know, uh we have to figure out, you know, a cure and like they're talking about the the plague and Charlton Heston's like, Yeah, well, you know, I've got I'm immune to it, so I want to use my blood. And I believe um Duke says, Christ, it's it's in the blood and I'm like, Did he just say that? <laughs> that's you know. Yeah. So there's a lot of handedness. Um there's some great themes, some great after futuristic stuff that I want to point out as well.
3: So, yeah, hopefully it'll be a good time. It sounds awesome. I've actually never heard of this movie, so it sounds really oh. interesting.
2: It's based on uh the Richard Matheson book I Am Legend. That's right, isn't it? Oh
3: yeah, that's right. I remember reading that. It's like I Am Legend. Are you going to are you going to talk about the movie the I Am Legend adaptation at all in your lecture too? Just briefly because
4: there's yeah. there's two. There's one, and there's one from straight straight to video, which is really terrible. But because um, I know Matheson wasn't really thrilled about any adaptation, so because he wasn't in charge of the script, right. and uh. yeah, there's also um, Last Man on Earth with Vincent Price. So oh, that's right. There's people have tried, and it just didn't wasn't up to par for him. So yeah, but, ho- hopefully we get a bunch of people coming out because I think it'll be a lot of fun, and the movie's just fun, you know, aside yeah. from all the deep themes the you know you get like academic about it it's just kind of fun and Charlton Heston was was kind of loopy in it so yeah
3: (laughs) isn't it funny how like I feel like a lot of the time for me I'm always like I have I have a hard time remembering that movies can just be fun sometimes (laughs) and not like straight straight academic and like I don't have to constantly like Analyze them all the time
2: um. <laughs> yeah same boat and uh so this this event's going through the it's the black museum, correct that's um andrea subasati she she runs that is that correct
4: yes, yeah, so it's run now by uh Paul karup and uh Gina freetag so yeah they're they are curating the black museum, so this is the first uh lecture for twenty twenty so i'm kind of I'm honored and I'm really excited to do it for them, so yeah, that's
2: so cool. It sounds awesome. I really wish I, I really wish places did more of this kind of stuff. Um, because like I would love to be able to go to like these kinds of lectures all the time.
4: I think people really want to come out to these things because you know going to a movie is fine, but if you have like some extra content, it just makes it a little bit more interesting and you get become more engaged with the film. So yeah.
2: Yeah, gives you stuff to mull over too. Yeah. That's cool.
3: So do we want to move into what we've been watching? Yeah. Terry, what have you been watching recently?
2: Okay, um, I'm going to talk about two things. Uh, as, as we discussed last episode, I have been uh, going through um, all of my reviews from attending Panic Fest, um, and this week I just I have one that I want to talk about because I also want to talk about a new TV show that's coming up. Okay. Um, so the first one is, is Scare Package. Have either of you seen this one?
3: mm I've never even heard of it.
2: Oh. Yeah. So it's um it's an anthology horror comedy. It's the the tagline is like seven filmmakers, seven tales of terror, zero working cell phones. <laughs> and it's it's like um it basically it, the originally it was originally called tropes, and then they changed it because they thought that probably wasn't gonna be very marketable. But it's a movie where um like just just to kind of give you a, a an idea of what the comedy is, there's the first segment is called cold open, and it's a cold open about um this like this uh there's this like sign that's pointing to um there's like a fork in the road and the signs pointing left and it says um insane asylum 10 miles and this guy comes over and basically starts flipping the sign around you find out that he is this guy his name is mike mike myers and (laughs) no relation but he um he basically the dude that comes in a horror movie and sets things up he has no point (laughs) in the plot but he's like and he's upset with this he's upset that he is the guy that basically has no motivation he goes in there he changes the sign he hides the cursed object he leads people down the wrong path he does all that and he really wants to be a protagonist and so the first segment's about him trying to break out of the role that he serves in film and then it kind of goes from there um, it's like the wraparound feature takes place in this um, Rad Chad's Emporium. It's like a video store, and Chad is like he's hiring someone, and you kind of watch these these tapes. But it go each one is completely different. There's one that he calls um, a feminist body horror. There's one that's that's kind of like a a take on like Fight Club type misogyny in in the horror horror movies there's it's just there's a whole wide variety and they're all really it's really funny and it never overstays its welcome and i think it's one of those movies that actually when people say it's by horror fans and for horror fans i think this is one of those those cases huh okay so that one is uh i think making its way around festivals and i'm i'm hoping it gets some like traction because i i laughed a lot it was a great crowd pleaser cool and then there's a new Netflix show that um is coming out in two days after this airs. It's called I Am Not Okay With This.
3: Oh my god, it looks so good.
2: Uh it is very good. It is very good. I it saw is the a...
3: um the teaser today and people are talking about it, and it looks like so much fun. I and I'm loving that Sophia Lillis is getting all this attention.
2: And I thought of you when I was watching it because um you had you had mentioned last week about how um you love that a um, a female character can have like a short hair without it being a plot point. And again, <laughs> same character, same or same actor, but it's the same same situation here. It's not like anything. And um, it's
3: not like I mean, so I guess my one concern seeing the trailer, it seems like it's a kind of derivative of stranger things. Does it have that vibe at all?
2: No. I would say
3: Oh, that. okay, cool.
2: Um cool. it's mostly about so she, she so that the setup is that she is a teenage uh girl who is she, her family moved around a lot and they finally moved to this this small town and then a year before the show starts, her father committed suicide. Aww. And so she has a lot of unresolved angst from from her father's death. She um, is basically in that kind of boiling pot of like hormones and, and coming to sexual maturity and like uh, this boiling rage that she feels has no outlet. And then all of a sudden, she realizes on top of that that she is a in love with her best friend Dina who is also dating the the uh school's jock who's a of course a douche oh
3: my god it's queer too it's
2: queer too oh, yay.
4: i think I... I saw that trailer uh just today i think yeah, okay. yeah. cuz i'm like wait is that yeah yeah
2: so she's in love with her best friend, and it's the first best friend that she's ever had because they've moved around a lot. She starts to, like, realize not only is all of this, like, crap going on, but she starts to think that she has some kind of um, psychic ability. Um, like, she makes the, the, du- the douche jock's nose bleed, and she stops water that's annoying her from a faucet, and it oh, seems to be tied to her rage. So it kind of has, like, this kind of carry vibe going to it, as well as, like... This very very um, acerbic and like caustic sense of humor. It's directed by the guy that did last year or a couple of years ago the uh, the end of the fucking world adaptation on Netflix. Oh, okay. So it has that kind of like very caustic humor to it. Okay. But yeah, it's um it's it'll be it'll be out in two days after this airs and my review will be live before then. But it is it's really really good. I blasted through all seven episodes in one sitting because I couldn't stop watching it.
3: That's amazing! Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to see it.
2: Yeah, and it's queer. Hell yeah! Love to Yay! see it.
3: <laughs> we love to absolutely love to see it.
2: Uh, but what about you, Marybeth? What have you been watching?
3: So I finally watched Alita Battle Angel*.
2: Oh yes, I saw you on Twitter talking about that. I've not seen it.
3: It sucks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I also like I hate it when um, when like Western studios are like I'm g- we're gonna take an anime and make it white. Mm. to give her big anime eyes and it frustrates me to no end because like I have the manga and like I really like the manga but I don't know it just is one of those things where I was like this is just not working for me I don't know it was terrible I I'd seen so many people I knew talk about how much they liked it and so like on a whim Steve and I were like we'll just watch it it'll be fun it's like a random like friday night thing it was terrible it was like a waste of 2 hours i know it was lame but then I rewatched Constantine today, because I'm writing about it. Because tomorrow, well, we're recording on the 17th. Tomorrow, the 18th, is the 15th anniversary of Constantine's release. And I just love that movie so much. I know that it's, like, not the best movie, but I have a soft spot in my heart for that movie. And I'm just, I always like talking about it. Keanu Reeves being hot and fighting demons. I mean, (laughs) like... You can't go wrong. You can't go wrong.
2: No. And Tilda Swinton.
3: Yeah.
4: I love that movie myself. I think it's, I love it. I love Tilda. I love Keanu. I love everything about that movie. So I'm with you, Mary Beth.
3: (laughs) So good. I was just like, I was writing about it and I was like, well, I've seen this enough times, but I should just put it on to like refresh my memory. And I'm just, it's one of those like, I'm not even going to say guilty pleasure. It's just like one of those movies that I will defend. I have a couple movies, like everyone has those movies that are like technically bad but you love them anyway and defend them and that is one of them for sure. Well, it's
4: it's funny cuz I was a fan of the graphic novel cuz my sister used to read it so I would read it after her and I I, I don't know, I didn't have a problem with the movie. I uh, I know it's a completely different animal. So, yeah, anyway. Yeah,
3: I haven't read the graphic novel. I want to though, because I love horror. I mean, I love graphic novels, I love horror graphic novels. I just haven't read Constantine um but i just heard people say it's kind of like lame, and I'm like, but it's not lame. It's lots of demon fighting. It's real cool. Um, <laughs> and as some people talk about later, I obviously have a thing for movies about demons. So like, <laughs> what? Me? I don't know. Um, anyway, Carolyn, what have you been watching, reading, playing? What if I
4: I actually finished the October Faction, so I oh, watched it on Netflix. I, yeah. How was that? Um, it, You know what? I actually have the graphic novels mm-hmm. and I read like, I think maybe the first four and then I just got inundated with other things. Um, I think I have maybe 12 issues of it, but, and I liked it. And, I, and then when I'm like, Oh, is this TV show the same thing? Uh, and you know, it's, it's good. Also, I don't know if you guys know who Stephen McHattie is, but yes. he's a key. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. he, he is, Yes, I'm... I, oh, he's in Pool. He's in Pool, yeah. right?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay.
4: He's been in Seinfeld, he's been in The Watchmen, the the film. Yeah. So I'm a huge fan of his. I'm like, I love this man. So he's also in it, so that's when I was like, what? So I had to watch it. <laughs> um, I like the storyline. I love that the um, there's twins in it, and um, uh, the brother, he is gay, so it's, yeah. it's great to see that, and I I just feel like there's a certain point where the whole show kind of lacks a bit of energy. Mm. I, I don't mm, Okay. Just like okay, you got and they've got a lot of uh people of color on the show, which is great. That but is there's good. just yeah, like there's something about it that's just missing just a touch of energy.
2: It's a but, little off. Yeah. Well I know that it came out like it came out around the same time as uh as lock and key like you i i've read the the comics or at least some of them um and then I got kind of sidetracked for them but um I did love that um the sun is un- unapologetically gay and, and i think that's that's amazing um kind of i i kind of was wondering if it was gonna lack energy though i only i've only seen the first episode but w- would you recommend it overall though
4: yeah I- give it a watch because mm. this is what bothers me is that you get you get a first season about a show and it's like maybe not really hitting that mark but then they cancel it and they don't give it yep. a chance
1: mm. so you
4: need to give this a chance you know it it, it, it has potential and maybe they can kind of uh i don't know do something to it i don't know what they need to do but i, I, I I think the performance, performances are really good, but there's just something about it. I don't know. But I really want them to give it another chance because um, I'm really upset that they canceled Marianne. So, oh, yes.
3: Um, really angry. So <laughs> They need too. to like give this show a chance. Well, yeah. I had actually never heard of it, which is ridiculous. But the I hadn't read the graphic novels, but the artist is Stephen Niles. Mm-hmm. Steve Niles. And Who he did the art know? for 30 Days of Night. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Which everyone knows is my favorite thing of all time, and I will consume any content that Steve Niles touches because I love his art style and it's so creepy. So I'm gonna have to buy this on the internet tonight. That's
2: actually how I I've I discovered it was because of uh 30 Days of Night.
3: Oh,
4: really?
2: Yeah, because the artist
4: and Danny Houston I fell in love with him from 30 Days of Night. Yes, oh, well, thank you, <laughs> yeah. thank you. I've been validated. <laughs> So finally- oh my god this is like the hottest and scariest vampire i've ever seen
3: <laughs> I know, it's like ooh, i don't understand why i think this is hot but his mouthful of shark teeth is doing something for me that i don't quite understand so. <laughs> okay good I- we're on we're on the same page here <laughs> always i know i first saw that i'm like i would like to consume all of the danny houston content and then i realized he's not in like a ton of good stuff <laughs> after <laughs> i watched that movie i was like Oh, okay. But still, doesn't matter.
4: <laughs> Can I mention one more thing? Um, The Outsider, are you guys watching The Outsider? I
3: think you are Terry, right? Because you're doing, are you doing recaps?
2: Or? Yep, I'm doing, I do recaps with uh, Joe Lipset.
3: I haven't yet. And I know, like, I've heard amazing things from Terry and from everyone online saying how good it is. So I really so need to watch good. it. Yeah,
4: so good. Like, uh, so I watch it from this uh, streaming service that I subscribe to. So it was on last night, and it was kind of, um, it was scrolling. So wow. my sister and I are watching it because I live with my sister, and she starts screaming at the TV. <laughs> She's, like, oh! She's like, "You better
3: work." She's cursing <laughs> out
4: this. My sister yells at the TV. Okay,
3: so. <laughs> well, how many uh, episodes are left of this of the? of the season
2: last night was episode seven so there's three left
3: okay
2: yeah i'm i'm really i'm really enjoying it um have you read the book uh carolyn
3: yeah
4: i read it yeah i think Um, it's one of his best books i'm gonna say yeah yeah
2: well did Um, you read it yes um i read it i am not um i love the first half and then Mm -hmm. i felt like the second half there was just a lot of discussion about what we already knew like every single time they have to meet someone they have to like run go through the whole rundown of what's going on and it just sort of like got bogged down for me
4: And are you noticing I think did they change a little bit for the TV show I could I can't really remember the book but I feel like they changed a little bit
2: They um, did they the changed show. they changed a lot um actually Yeah but like, they and they gave, well, the thing that I'm happy about is that they gave Holly, who's played to perfection in this by Cynthia Erivo. She is fantastic in this, and the show has given her a lot more to do than, than the book did. Oh, so. good.
3: Yeah. I need to watch it. It's like one of those things that like I need to watch, but it kind of falls to the wayside with like all the other things I'm watching. But I will prioritize it now that I've got so many recommendations of it.
2: Yeah, it's it's good
3: cool okay so we've talked about what we're watching now but do we want to start talking about the movie that carolyn has brought
2: oh yes
3: yes carolyn what movie are we discussing today we are discussing the
0: exorcist somewhere between science and superstition there is another world (gasps) the world of darkness respected it.
1: Right, well, let's
0: see Nobody believed it. And nothing could stop it. The one hope. The only hope. The exorcist.
3: Finally, okay, so for those of you who have never heard of The Exorcist or know what it is, I'm sorry, but just as a refresher, um, so The Exorcist is about single mother Chris McNeil, played by Ellen Burstyn, who is temporarily living in Washington, D.C. while filming a movie. She notices dramatic and violent changes in the behavior of her 12-year-old daughter, Reagan, Linda Blair. Meanwhile, a young priest named Father Karras, played by Jason Miller, is struggling with his faith while dealing with his mother's terminal illness. And an elderly priest named Father Marin Max von Seidau discovers that an old demonic entity is sneaking its way into Washington that's going to force these three people together to battle against the devil. Also, I drove past, so I live in Washington, D.C., and I drove past the exorcist stairs last night and I was like, (laughs) getting good. I was like, all right, getting ready for the podcast because they're like right in Georgetown. And they're really oh, creepy at
2: wow. night. wow. Yeah, That's... it's really creepy at night. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so how old were you, Carolyn, when you saw this movie? And what um what about it kind of terrified you?
4: Well, I think I was about the same age as Reagan in the movie. Um, I think it was about 11 or 12. Oh,
0: wow. And
4: uh, yeah, and it was on TV. So, I mean, you know how they put films on and it's edited out. So I didn't see like the full, full version until, um, I think I rented like a VHS or something later on, but, uh, yeah, I watched it. Uh, I know, I guess it freaked me out because my family, uh, I, my family's Catholic. So my parents were super Catholic, super Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, we lived with my grandmother, my dad's mom, and she was super religious. So It was kind of from... My memory's uh, really bad, but I do remember sitting on our orange shag carpet in front of the TV with my sister, and the family was kind of gathered around. It was like an event. Oh, The Exorcist! (laughs) And we watched it, and I was like, oh, my God. I'm her age. I also had, like, a lot of medical issues when I was younger. So seeing her... Like, in the hospital and, like, all that. And I can remember, I remember my grandmother going, see, this is what happens. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Really? (laughs) So, yeah. And uh, I I vaguely, I was talking to my sister about this, and she goes, yeah, I can't really remember. We were just all watching it. But I do remember, now, I don't know if this is just because my grandmother did this all the time, but. I'm pretty sure she had a rosary in her hand. So <laughs> when we're watching the movie. So all of that combined created like this, like terrifying soup that I was swimming in for years. Let's just say.
3: <laughs> oh my god, a rosary in ha- you're just like this, this. is like a perfect storm of having that movie ed- like literally scar you for life as you're just like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sitting there with your whole family. You know, what's funny is
4: like I borrowed um, my boyfriend is like a movie collector. So he had like the director's cut. So I borrowed it from him. So I'm watching it. And like, I think the opening scenes are a bit extended. There's a few Mm -hmm. extended scenes. Yeah. When um, Father Marin's in Iraq and he sees the statue of Pazuzu. And I'm like, so I had a phobia of statues for years and I never knew where it came from. And I was watching the movie like uh earlier this week and I was like, that's where it's come from. Because whoa. <laughs> like, I had a pho- like I had to talk to a therapist about it. like it was nuts. Like and and like I still have slight issues going into like museums and that sort of thing. If there's a really big statue, I can't I can't handle it. So wow. yeah, I ha my phobia for statues came from that movie. That's Holy crazy. shit. Yeah wow yeah and i was like that, it just kind of clicked i was like oh my god that's where i got it from yeah
2: i mean Thanks, it man. is a gnarly statue and i yeah. i noticed this gnarly. time i was like does it have a snake penis <laughs> like, what, I was like what is going on down there <laughs> a
3: casual snake penis
2: yeah as as you do
4: <laughs> so we used to go to church every sunday this is like I'm sorry. This is like a Catholic therapy session here, oh, but
3: great. I have similar. I have a similar relationship to the movie. Okay. <laughs> We're sitting in the pews, and like my grandmother's like,
4: you have to be a good girl because Jesus is on the cross. And like in our church, we had like a pretty gory looking uh, crucified Christ, gigantic yes. statue, yes. and blood on his hands she's like yeah jesus is watching you and i'm like oh thanks <laughs> you know thank you <laughs> i'm not doing anything bad i was we were really so i have t- t- two older sisters and the eldest one left home young so it was my other sister and i we were like you know like partners in crime and we lived behind the Iron Curtain, so to speak, of a highly religious parent, so we couldn't do anything. So it was like, we were good kids. We didn't do anything wrong. But that constant, like, God's watching you. It's like, I can't do anything, <laughs> you know? <laughs> anyway, 15 tattoos later. <laughs>
2: right?
4: I'm doing it all now. <laughs> anyway, That's yeah, amazing. so I went off on a tangent, sorry. Oh, no, please, <laughs> oh don't
3: apologize. Wow. Yeah, I have, like, so I was raised sort of Catholic, not as strict, now I was not raised as, like, strictly Catholic as I think you were, but I was raised Catholic, like, with my dad's side of the family, like, being very Irish and very Catholic, and, like, constantly, like, praying rosary, and there was lots of, like, crucifixes around the house, and, like, stuff that freaked me out, because I feel like I've always had, like, a weird phobia of Catholicism because of that, I don't know, it was weird. So I didn't see The Exorcist until I was probably, like, in high school. But if I was... And I I guess I was, like, assuming that because I was older, it wasn't going to freak me out. But, like, that movie filled me with dread in a way that I was not expecting. And my, um, my dad, who I don't really talk to anymore, like, got me really into the movie. And he's super scared of demons. Like, I can't say the name Pazuzu in front of my dad. Because he's like, you're going to invoke the demon. Like, my dad legitimately believes that they are real, which is, like, that's a whole other thing to unpack for him, but we won't do that right now. Um <laughs> But, like, he instilled in me this, like, really weird fear of the demonic, and so whenever I watch The Exorcist, it, like, gives me, like, a cold pit in my stomach that, like, somehow it's going to transfer over to me, and so... This movie is like very scary to me. It, cont- it continues to be scary, even though I know that, like, that fear is very irrational. It just, like, kind of hits you and you're, sub- like, on a subconscious level, especially with the subject matter of that film. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Weird shit. It's weird. Ca- Catholic families are weird.
1: <laughs> they
3: really are. They. They really, especially if you're a girl, <laughs> like, <That's thanks. laughs> right. it's like so weird. And it's just like a lot of guilt. And especially, again, especially if you're a girl, there's a lot of guilt and there's a lot of scaring you with things. And it's already pretty terrifying. Like you said, there's usually like a giant fucking crucifix with a bleeding Jesus in front of you every Sunday. And like, that's already like pretty traumatizing in the first place. You've got to drink blood and eat a body and it's. <laughs> It's just like a lot of horrifying imagery when you really think about it and get down to it. And it's just it's fucking
1: weird. weird.
4: And all the women in the Bible are bad, and all the men want to kill their sons. So I mean, come on.
3: Yeah. <laughs> weird. Catholicism is so bizarre. It is just so bizarre. But I also grew up thinking that Catholicism was the only thing that existed. Like. I knew, like well, okay, sorry, Catholicism, that was the only thing that, like, was the only kind of Christianity. Like, I was, like, they're, like, oh, yeah, I'm, like, Episcopalian. I'm, like, what? What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that was the thing. So, fun. I, and I, I but I only, like, I got my first communion and then never got confirmed. My mom was, like, nah, you don't have to do this anymore. So. Oh, <laughs> I going yeah, to do the whole thing. Well, because my parents got Ugh. divorced and my mom was like definitely not as invested in it as like the Irish side of my family, and she was like, right. this is this is stupid. <laughs> so I got out of it early, thankfully. Yeah, yeesh. Did you go to
4: Catholic
3: school?
4: No, I didn't. Oh. Uh, I had to go to public school, and then Sunday school taught by disgruntled university students. So
1: <laughs> I don't even
4: know. I don't know what I learned, and like, and I, uh, I used to like. Do all kinds of stuff to try to get out of going to Sunday school. And like, so I cried wolf one too many times. And then my mom made me go sick and I threw up.
3: (laughs) Oh my God, you pulled a Reagan. (laughs) I did. And
4: everyone's like, ew. So then I was now, then after that, I was like, that's the girl that threw up at Sunday school. (laughs) Oh my God. That's
1: horrible.
4: You know what also freaked me out too? So, our our parish priest, he was this older guy, and sometimes he would fall asleep, like, during, um, I guess, I don't know what you call them, the deacons. They would read, like, the, the Psalms or whatever. you see him up there, and you're like, that dude's sleeping. But he had a, what are those French dogs? A Bouvier, those big uh, oh, black Bouvier, dogs?
3: The Bouvier de yeah. Flanders, I think is what they're called.
4: Normally, they're really good-natured dogs. He had a hellhound. Like, this <laughs> dog, the only person that was his housekeeper and oh like God. if you if you walk past it it was like roar rah like just it was like in attack mode all the time so I was kind of after watching all those like horror movies and based in Christianity and you know seeing like jackals like in the omen I'm like is he the devil you know? <laughs> so that was how my childhood mind worked so there you go
3: yeah so crazy what, what scene from the exorcist sticks out to you the most like what was one that really freaked you out As a kid.
4: Um, Trying to think as a kid. I think it was the the like the exorcism at the end. I think that really freaked me out. You know, and seeing transform like that. Um now it doesn't quite I mean as an adult, I'm like, eh. (laughs) I thought like the beginning of the film was a lot more like it was very masterful in the suspense, building that and introducing each character. But the exorcism itself, I was like, eh. It, you know, it. I mean, it, yeah. it, it, it didn't really. It doesn't translate to now for me.
2: Yeah. So, I, I, people who listen to the podcast know that, that I do not really care for this movie, and I don't really know. I don't. I don't remember. I have no memory of watching this. I know that I. I saw it when I was a kid, but I have no recollection of it. And I. The only time I really remember seeing this movie was probably in I think two thousand when the uh the version you've never seen or whatever came to theaters, and the movie's just never really worked for me. I kind of piggybacking off what you said, Carolyn. I think rewatching it uh this week, the thing that I really enjoyed was the first half because like it kind of taps into that that fear of like a, a mom trying to figure out what's wrong with her daughter. And I felt that that was very well, very well done. And that was actually for me, the, the most intense part. When the actual exorcism came, it just, it kind of turns into a movie monster and it kind of lost the, uh the thrill, I guess, for me. And I think that might be what, what's always bothered me about it. Hmm. But I, I don't know. I don't know.
4: I, I think, yeah, I, I would, I would have to agree as a little kid seeing like, you know, her head spinning and
2: Mm -hmm. the
4: scarf and everything that's scary. But then I guess maybe as our, our needs in terms of watching a film change. And I, I, I actually agree with you. And I was actually, when I made my notes, I'm like, Oh, you know, like she doesn't know what's wrong with her daughter and that's freaking her out. Like, you know, this is like her, her daughter is her life and yeah. she's acting out in such a strange way and doctors don't know what's wrong with her and blah 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 and and you know she's hearing them say all these using these terms and she's like what's wrong with my daughter so yeah i think that for me as an adult is the more terrifying part
2: yeah for me i, I i'm i'm kind of the well i'm i'm the opposite i never i never grew up with religion um i've mentioned on the show before where i can probably count or if we're not considering a wedding or a funeral on like maybe two or three fingers, the amount of times I've been in a church. Um, it was, it was just not something that, um, I grew up with. So like, I don't, it, the whole religious thing never really um, did anything for me. But when when I would put out a call on on Twitter asking if people had any stories about it, I did get one from a friend of the show, Stephen Kess, who his Twitter is at a faceless name. He said the scary part is having a sick child that that not only cannot be cured, it cannot be diagnosed. Fear for your child is real. I know because I was that child. So like I think that that is what really this time um drew me more into the narrative.
4: Yeah, I, I yeah, I think that because I was a fairly um sickly child. I was also um I guess what you would call a I am a highly sensitive person. So mm. and I think I suffered from anxiety as a child, but because and Mary Beth I'm sure you you know this, if there's something wrong, you just pray. So
3: <laughs>
4: I was told to pray a lot and uh and I, I had like a few traumatic things happen to me. I lost my hair. I have alopecia. So uh, it eventually grew back. But when you lose your hair as a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, that's like... traumatizing. Very traumatizing. Children are mean.
3: Yes, they sure fucking are.
4: (laughs) Really mean. So then uh, instead of my mom, like, I mean, they did the best they could. My parents, you know, they they both passed away. But they were lovely people. And, And my dad was always the life of the party. And, you know, they're wonderful people. But, I mean when you're raised in a religion, sometimes like outside influences, they don't want that because they figure this is all you need. So I wasn't taken to like a therapist or anything. So luckily I had um, a cousin who was a nurse and she came to stay for a summer with us. And she was wonderful because I think she understood that I was going through some, you know, issues And so she would talk to me and that was, that really helped. But yeah, like, and, and looking at my parents on their side, they're like, well, what's wrong with, they can't figure out why she's lost all her hair. Does that mean she's got a bigger issue? Like that's worrying for them too. So Mm -hmm. yeah, like you can, you can relate the first half of the film to your own experiences for sure.
2: We It's there. It's, it's funny how, this movie kind of gets held up with like being like the scariest um, movie ever made. Right. And there was a couple stories we got, we got one from Nina Nesseth. Um, I don't know how to pronounce her Twitter, Twitter handle. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> so I apologize, Nina, but she sent me a, a private message and it kind of made me laugh. She says that, Um, Her mom forbade her from watching this and her dad watched it with her and it turned into this big thing where strange stuff started happening that matched beats of the movie for example, a rat infestation making noises in the walls where there were no rats to be found, faucets opening on their own, and she was terrified she was going to be possessed. She also lived at a 666 address (laughs) and her mom believed there was a poltergeist following her. And one time, when she was at a used bookstore, she walked into a shelf and a book fell off and hit her and it was a French copy of The Exorcist.
3: Oh my god. Oh.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So this... (laughs) There's like a a lot there's no shortage of stories on 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 Twitter about this movie traumatizing them.
4: Wow, that's that's pretty insane actually. <laughs>
3: wow. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I thought that was a fun one when um, <laughs> I got that, and I was like, I gotta share this. Do you mind if I share this? And she's like, Of course. And I think oh.
3: something like that bothered me as I watched it as an adult is like how the narrative shifts to the young, hot young priest,
2: mm-hmm.
3: which always bothers me because like a lot of obviously like the scariness is around like the the scary young girl Reagan and how she turns into this horrible creature. But then a lot of the movie is about this crisis of faith about this young priest, and it's interesting how so many of these like possession movies like the exorcist um the last exorcism um
2: exorcism of Emily Rose. Yeah, ex- yeah like a lot of the entity yes
3: even. yes just have so much
2: they,
3: they they wouldn't these narratives wouldn't exist without the female characters but they're not really about the female characters it's about how the female characters provide some kind of like catharsis for a male character and that's yeah. super frustrating like to to think about a movie and like I mean this is just I guess for film history in general really understanding like what these movies were actually saying and you watch them and you're like wait we 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 hype this up as such a good movie but like the messaging is kind of damaging to me I mean maybe that's like thinking too much into it and I don't want to like take away from the importance of The Exorcist but like it is important to notice that like the message behind that movie is a little bit like toxic which is a lot of I mean a lot of older horror movies I guess you could say that about but there are like a lot of parts of that movie that you're just like cool so I guess the female body is just unruly and monstrous and is just like turned into a medical experiment and is just abused for for men to use as either an experiment or as a catharsis for their own faith and it's just frustrating I absolutely agree. It's
4: funny because I made some notes on that. I found this article um, on womeninhollywood.com, and it's called Examining the Woman Anxiety Problem in the Exorcist. Ooh. So uh, to check that out, it's really good because I, when I was like watching it, I'm like, you know, I feel like women are, um, like, with women and religion, we're already, we're like walking targets and we're, we're already guilty before things happen. Yeah. You know, like, like, and, and this is a, like a perfect example, like even witch trials, you know, like the, the, the female, as you're saying, the female body is already a target. So it's really interesting that you say that, um, because I was thinking exactly the same thing. Yeah.
3: Yeah. One of my, um, colleagues at another site I write for wrote an article about them, like the, how the female body and exorcist and Rosemary's baby, is like is is medicalized if that's the right word like it just the female body is like a site of experimentation and that's even um, a case in a movie we talked about like the entity that you just mentioned terry like female anxiety just becomes like a a toy for male doctors to play with and it's really frustrating and it's just i don't and especially as like a woman with a lot of anxiety all the time it's just kind of like it is both heartening to see that we have changed our, we are slightly changing in terms of how we are viewing women's mental illness, but also so frustrating that for the longest time, like women's anxiety was just kind of like shrugged off and seen as hysteria, and it yep. just pisses me off to no end. Because boy oh boy, if I was not born now, I would be absolutely screwed. Yeah,
4: <laughs> <so>. <laughs> the same.
2: <laughs> and, and you know what's what's interesting is you you kind of talk about like foundational films and The Exorcist really kind of established the, the genre tropes for these, this type of movie, right? Yeah. So everything that, that comes after it is is either A, compared to The Exorcist, or B, kind of follows along the same beats. I mean, it, it established those mass market genre trappings with usually a teenager, almost always a woman, focus on the priest performing the exorcism and like you said the woman's body becomes kind of a way f- to for men to overcome whatever is ailing them and, and there's always the bird the burgeoning sexuality i mean i forgot how <laughs> i forgot some of the stuff that happened in this like i remember the the crucifix masturbation scene but i did not remember her grabbing her mom's head and pulling her into <laughs> her bloody crotch and i did not remember me? that
3: yes yeah, yeah. It's Wild. Uh so insane yeah like and so okay i come i complain about the exorcist but obviously it is like a foundational horror text and i love the movie but again like it is important for us to like look at the movies we love and understand that perhaps there are some problems <laughs> with the classics and that you know looking to the classics for inspiration but also realizing like what can we do better now now that we realize that like hey women are people and like <laughs> anxiety is a real thing and perhaps that we shouldn't treat like female bodies or like non-cis white male bodies like shit and <laughs> like i would love to see like okay i know we don't want more reboots but like it would be really cool to see something that's like kind of like the exorcist but like with a woman of color in it or like a queer person or like i don't know just like an updated version of that for the now well- have you seen The Exorcist, the TV series? Have you watched that? I have not, and I've only ever heard of it from one person who I love, who is obsessed with it, who I used to work with, and I've heard really good things about it. Yeah,
4: it was really well done. Terry, have
2: you seen it? Or um, I've seen, like I think, half of the first season, and I really enjoyed what I saw. It just came out at, a, at such a bad time that I got sidetracked with other things. But someone reached out to me on Twitter and, and said that there's actually... Um, as, as the season goes, or the show goes on into the second season, there's they introduce more queer characters, and there's a lot of queerness oh. to it. Oh, is that...
3: there okay. is. Okay, yeah, cool. yeah. Well, then I eat my words. <laughs>
4: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, and, and they do an excellent job of, because I'm, I'm like, you know what, let me compare. So I was watching like the first few uh, episodes of the first season, and they really translate some scenes, f- even from the original film, so well. And it's so clever and I I just, it kind of blew my mind and um, they canceled it. The second season was okay. Um, They had a lot of people of color in the second season. Um, John Cho. Mm. uh, Yeah. uh, He was really good. And, uh, but they canceled it as they did. um, I'm just going to put it out there. The Omen, they should not have canceled that show. Anyway, that's just an aside. But um, <laughs> they, like, it was such a well-done show. Like, the first season was really well done, and they uh, incorporate some conspiracy, um, some Ooh. conspiracy theories happening there. People who are good aren't as good as you think. So I think they they modernized it well. They still do use female characters as kind of the the vessel for like a demon, but it is actually really. Uh, well, it's really, up, it's updated really well. So, you know, it's, I would recommend having a look at it. Cool.
2: Okay. I remember liking I what know. I saw. Yeah. For sure. So what, one other, I, I, I'd i be remiss if I didn't share this. One other um, Twitter user response that we got was from Kim Foul, Foul, um, F-A-U-L. Um, she was, t- she said that the first time she tried to watch this, she got so scared she took the VHS tape, out of the VCR and threw it away. It upset her that much. And then she refused to watch it ever again. until last year when she mistakenly told, um, Freddie, uh, Freddie in space, um, John Squire, right? yeah, John Squire, yes. um, told him that she had never made it through. And of course he made her watch it last year. And, and, um, she said that she really liked it this time, but she, she found it still extremely upsetting and that she hid under the fleece blanket during the cross scene. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> But it makes me wonder, so what what do you think of the of the movie? And we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but how do you think the movie's aged, Carolyn?
4: I think uh, it, it's aged pretty well, again, like, for the time, I think, who's the makeup artist? Dick, Dick Smith? Was that his name? Yes, Dick Smith. I think he won. Did he win some, um, was it an Oscar? No, they, they won an Oscar for sound. But um, he, he did the makeup. You know, it, it does hold up. Again, I found the exorcism part Eh, still, I'm like okay, but I found the performances of um of uh, Max von Sydow Sind- and um Jason Miller to really be the crux of it for me towards the the ending. Yeah, but um yeah, I I still find the first half of the film is really. So well done. And I, because yeah. William Friedkin did the um, French Connection. Mm-hmm. So that's like a classic film. And it's got like, it's got a lot of the, the similar elements like suspense and character building. So I think it really holds up that way.
2: I also think it probably doesn't help that um, <laughs> Scary Movie 2 kind of took the uh, the, the piss out of it. <laughs> so like every time I, I watch, I watch the exorcism <laughs> part, I'm always thinking of, of... <laughs> of the opening scene in Scary Movie 2 your mother's in here with us
0: Harris would you like to leave a message I'll be
2: sure that she gets it
0: yes mom will you get out of there please you're no fun I'm working see you later Mrs. Harris
2: she's like your mother's in here do you want to leave a message yeah mom get out of there (laughs) like like, every time something would happen I would just immediately like think of the Scary Movie 2 opening
3: amazing maybe it's
4: The piano, and he's playing the piano, too, and he starts singing. What is that, hip hop? -hop Oh, my
2: gosh, yes. (laughs) Hey, do you guys know this one?
0: Now, this is the real (laughs) shit. Shake your ass. Watch yourself. Shake your ass. Show me what you're working with.
2: Shake Um, that ass. Show me what you're working with. (laughs) They break out into that from Hello, Dolly. (laughs) Oh, my God. And then she just starts peeing. Oh, my God. It just goes on and on and on and on. But... (laughs) Uh, What about you, Mary Beth? How do you think the the movie aged? I mean, besides
3: besides that one, the complaint I had, obviously, I still think it holds up. I mean, I had to watch this... um, I took a horror film class in college and I had to, I watched it in class and then I watched it a couple years later when they were screening it again for that class. And it really still puts me on edge, mm-hmm. especially like the sound design. I think I paid a lot more attention to that when like I was in film classes and really thinking about the different elements of the movie and the sound design and the music for that film are just so off putting and so uncomfortable. And I think the use of practical effects really helps it stand out. And I think it's despite like my issues with like gender representation, it's such an effective film in terms of fear and anxiety and like, like preying on that Catholic anxiety. I mean, it really does scare the shit out of you if you were raised Catholic, but even if you weren't raised Catholic, I think it still is a very tense, terrifying film. So, I mean, I think it holds up and I think it's never going to go away as one of those like classic horror movies that everyone talks about. Right. Um, it is a masterclass in creating tension and suspense, I think. So, yeah.
2: Cool. Well, I was I, I was, I was hoping that my thoughts would change on this rewatch and they really didn't. But the one thing that I did really, really, that really actually kind of got me a little bit was the very end when, after all of the shit, Reagan um is, Back to being, you know, a little girl and she's crying in the corner, and her mom doesn't immediately go over to her.
1: <laughs>
2: that scene really like hit me this time. I don't know, I don't know why, but it's just like I just want go over to her, go over to her, and she's just bawling <laughs> in the corner. Yeah.
3: That I, I didn't even think about that. But I mean, like that both of them are just so traumatized from everything they've seen and been through. They're probably just terrified of each other and like what the other is capable of. It's so weird. Right. Um also I remember reading um a lot about this movie when it came out. Like the whole like the the set was haunted and like oh, yeah. cursed. And I just wanted to mention that because I, I'm always like very fascinated when like sets of horror movies seem cursed or haunted and that always like lends to me as someone who was like very easily convinced that entities are real um it like <laughs> yeah. lends to the fear for me and they like, kind of lends to the overall like air of the film i mean who knows like how much of it was real but i think like the set burned down at one point yeah. one of the actors died um people were getting sick apparently yeah
4: like yeah, it was yeah
2: yeah, it's, it, it joins think, like Macbeth as being like you know performance that everyone is is haunted by. And
4: <laughs> yeah, were
2: we gonna say something?
4: Uh, some like priests that were consultants. So apparently they they blessed the, the cast a, a couple times just to make sure.
3: <laughs> <laughs> just to make sure. I guess it didn't work.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Okay. So Alan Burstyn claims that nine people were killed. During the making of the film, but the guy who oh. plays Burke Dennings, he did die from a heart attack, um, after completing his work right. on set. That was technically related to a case of the flu, but I think just because of like the timing, everyone was like, "Oh, yep, it's the film." So, <laughs> yeah. Whew. Anyway, I just wanted to bring that up because I think that's like it adds to for me adds a little bit of spookiness to the movie.
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of really, gives it like that. That legend quality to it the mythos to it
3: yeah and huh. uh, actually i
4: think have have you guys seen any of the sequels like exorcist 2 and 3 and i or, have not no
2: i've seen the third one
4: yeah that uh, exorcist 2 is not good <laughs> i feel like I <laughs> this is not good like and like i feel like the tv series is a a decent like a, a a decent uh sequel it really does hold up. But Exorcist 2 is really bizarre. And if you ever get a chance to watch it, like, I think my sister and I watched it on TV, I don't know, maybe in the 90s. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And <laughs> the, there's, there's locusts. There's, like, it, it's, yeah, it's not good. But And I feel bad for Linda Blair because, you know, she's, like, you know, she's probably getting over being that character and then going back to it and I don't know I just I don't it wasn't really necessary it wasn't necessary
2: (laughs) I remember liking the third one everyone talks about the jump scare
4: yeah oh it's so good
2: that's like the big thing I always remember about that movie is the jump scare in the hospital
4: yeah actually I went with a friend two of my girlfriends and um one of them left after that scene. she's like I can't (laughs) <laughs> oh my God. I'm like, like really? Yeah. And she's like, nope. Well, she wasn't really into horror, so we just thought, oh, let's go see oh, this. Oh, okay. And uh she was like, later. She waited for us in the lobby. Because <laughs> <laughs> we were, we were total bitches, and we're like, sorry, we're watching this.
3: <laughs> we're watching. You can I wait out it. there. <laughs> I get it. Oh. Like, I paid money for this ticket. You cannot make me leave.
2: <laughs> right.
3: I will sit through some unbearable shit to make sure I get my movie tickets worth sometimes.
2: Yeah, same. <laughs> well, thank you, Carolyn, for joining us to talk about The Horrors of the Exorcist. Uh, where can our listeners find you and what do you have coming up?
4: So you can find me on Twitter at VFDPixie. Um, and I haven't written too much on my uh, my my website for a while, uh, View from the Dark, uh, just because I've been doing a few other things uh one of them which is the lecture happening on february the 29th at the royal cinema on the omega man so yeah you can find me there
2: and we'll put links to uh to that um in the show notes so that you guys can go see it because it it sounds like it's going to be great and got to go out in there and support uh local theater and stuff
4: if you're in toronto come out and also uh submissions are open for blood in the snow so you can just look up blood in the snow.ca if you uh have any kind of Canadian connection and want to submit a film. Do it, guys.
3: Perfect. Um, So you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. Um, What has your experience been with The Exorcist? Send us an email or send us a DM on Twitter. You can email us at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or send us a DM at scarredpodcast and we might feature you in an upcoming episode. You can re- also reach out to both me and Terry on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews.
2: And I'm at Gailey dreadful.
3: And of course, like I said, tag us at SCARD Podcast if you want to talk about the podcast on Twitter.
2: And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe.
3: Um, Thank you to Steve Barnold for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our amazing music. Thanks, everyone, and stay creepy.
2: And until next time.
1: A profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right. And we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you small-town dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.COM